Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. Howdy, my name is Tim Hammerich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter and the host of the Future of Agriculture podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and being with us here today. I thought I'd start the show by mentioning something that I don't know why it's taking me 46 episodes to to mention this, but uh, better late than never, I suppose. I was having a conversation with a listener recently who said he loved the podcast, listened to every episode, really enjoyed things, uh, loved the guests and all that, and I was I was really complimented and happy about that. We continued to talk, and he mentioned that he was having a problem in his ag business of finding good people. And I thought for a second, and I said, well, you know, I could help you with that. I I am an agribusiness recruiter, like I say at the top of every show. And he kind of said, oh, well, I know you said you're an agribusiness recruiter, but I, I didn't know you worked on behalf of whatever companies needed your help. And I thought, you know what, maybe I better mention that on the show. So I am an agribusiness recruiter who works, um, mainly on a contingency basis for any company who's having trouble hiring people. So if you know of anyone looking to hire or be hired in the business of agriculture, uh, please get in touch with me. I would love to see how I can help. I've wanted to have an agronomist on the show here for a while to talk about new and exciting ideas happening with growing our crops. For those of you who don't know, an agronomist or someone who is interested in agronomy is basically referring to the science of growing crops, to put it very simply. I'm so, sorry to all of you agronomists out there who think I'm putting, oversimplifying that, but but basically agronomy is the science of growing crops. But I didn't want to just bring any agronomist on. I wanted to find someone who is very progressive and always looking up at how we can improve how farmers grow crops. And I found one in our guest here today, Dr. Curtis Livesey of Dynamite Ag. If you haven't checked out his blog or his Facebook Live videos, you need to. He's got a very strong following of what he calls misfit farmers, which is the farmer that's happy to not just follow the herd and look for ways where they can stand out and actually improve their yields while still uh, maximizing their sustainability efforts as well. So really enjoyed this talk with Dr. Livesey. I will tell you that I wasn't expecting where he said he was or what he said he was doing while we had this call. I knew he was on the West Coast, but did not realize that he was actually working in the cannabis industry. So uh, very exciting turn and very interesting, I thought, as we get dive into this conversation with Dr. Curtis Livesey. Warning here, I recently changed offices and thought everything should be fine in a new place with the same equipment, the same settings. Unfortunately, I was wrong, and the sound quality on this interview is not up to standard. I apologize, but it's just still so good that I wanted to share it with you. I'll get my sound issues figured out for the next episode, uh, but please bear with me on this one. Thank you very much for listening, and here is my conversation with Dr. Curtis Livesey of Dynamite Ag. Yeah, actually, I'm out out here um, right now for the next couple months uh, working with, so there's some guys in the medical marijuana industry that found out about my my background in commercial ag and what I do with farmers and called me up and said, hey, you know, could you come help us? And I grew up in a pretty conservative Christian household and I was like, "Uh, you know, just say no to drugs. And they're like, would you please just research it? So it's not easy to do, but you can find like actual published information on uh, medical uses of cannabis. 
And so I started digging into that a little bit, and uh, lo and behold, turns out there is actually some medical value. Uh, the government, this is a little known fact, but the government actually owns a patent on some medical cannabis stuff, which is funny since it's, you know, a Schedule One drug and they control that. So I'm not like a huge conspiracy theorist, but that does strike a guy as a little goofy. Something's not quite right there. That so, is very Yeah, right, exactly. So I don't know. I just, I, I kind of got my eyes open to it. Like I said, I've never, you know, I've never, still to this day, I've never smoked cannabis. It's not my deal. Uh, but I am, it's a new crop for me to learn about. And kind of like I told you on the information side, that's my real passion is learning and then like sharing that information and educating people. So, um, it just, it, it worked out. Let's put it that way. And I'm really excited about what I'm learning out here. I wouldn't say I'm like a full blown, like advocate for cannabis or anything, but dude, I will say like once it's like most thing, other things, when you, when you really start to dig into something and you cut through all of the, the crap as far as, you know, the stigma and the what, you know, well, this guy I know said something that this other guy said. And, and it just you kind of play like this giant game of cultural telephone and something goes from really not that bad to kind of bad to really bad to worse to evil. And this is one of those things where, you know, I've been around there. There's don't get me wrong. There are some of those people that are your stereotypical stoners, whatever. They're going to abuse it. It's not going to be a medical thing. But I think the day's coming, man, when you'll actually see cannabis as, as commonplace as you know, like people having a beer in the evening because it's just it's been so black market and so illegal and and such a stigma for so long that there was no good information. And so that's kind of like what these guys brought me on to do was to really study the plant, to bring some science to the industry and to start to really disseminate good information. So, like I said, while I'm not necessarily a full blown like advocate, I will definitely say people need to, to pull back the curtain a little bit and really see what's there because it is not what I thought it was. And it's, you know, it, it, it's just really interesting. That is really cool. I, I, yeah, I want to include that. I, I certainly didn't, yeah. uh, Feel didn't free. know that's what you do out there, but I think that's, that's great. It's funny. Cause when I, when I started out here, Tim, I, I, I was kind of like, not really like I never, ever, ever would I lie about it ever. But at the same time, I also it wouldn't be like the first thing I brought up like with my current right. clients <laughs> or with new people. And and the more I've been out here and the more I've gotten to know the industry, the more I'm like, you know what? Like, let's have an open and frank conversation about this and let's bring it out of the shadows into a place where we can have a conversation. And like I actually I've been published now in the Cannabis Business Times, which is a really legit and informative magazine. And I wrote an article for them about, you know, bringing science to the industry. And so it's something that, like I said, we're, I'm not going to go out and shout about it all the time, but I'm not, I won't back down from the conversation anymore like I used to. I'm over that. Well, well this might be a good time to just uh, maybe give us the, the breakdown of what is Dynamite Ag and what, yeah. uh, what does the cannabis industry want from you? So Dynamite Ag is my consulting company that I, I should say sales and consulting um, that I started back in, I have to go back and look, I think it was 2012 now. I just finished up my uh, PhD in, as you mentioned in one of the questions you'd sent me, in an unrelated field, uh, funny enough. And I kind of had a really bad experience in my grad program and, and had a real bad falling out with an advisor and I grew up on a farm, so this was agriculture was kind of like coming home to me. And so I was able to take, you know, the, my 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 PhD is basically in two kind of focused areas: interpersonal communication and then research methods. So I learned how to do good research, how to find research, um, and and how to make that applicable. Really, how to read this sort of academic, you know, uh, jargon and translate it into stuff that hopefully makes a difference for guys. And so that's what I kind of started doing, and um, I've got several different product lines that we have. I won't say push because the goal 
is not that I would you know bring somebody in and sell them everything from every company, but I look at these different companies that I work with and represent as tools in a toolkit. And so the goal is to sit down and and kind of figure out with a grower like what's their limiting factor, what are they struggling with, and then how can I help them based on what I've got. And if I don't have the answer for them, it's time to go back to work and start finding you know some way, some shape or form that can help them. So a lot of people I'm helping that I make literally no money on. Uh, other people I'm helping by you know they're they're buying products through us. Um, other people we're just doing research with. So. What is Dynamite Ag is, is kind of a hard question to answer because it's always kind of evolving. Um, the guys that I'm working with as far as the cannabis industry, I think, just knew that I was working hard to build this brand as like somebody who disseminated good information and who really would put the time and effort into, you know, to researching, uh, which is why I think they were comfortable reaching out to me as far as, you know, not knowing where I necessarily stood on the issue and now knowing that I was kind of against it when we got started. Um, but yeah, it's just, you know, it's about doing good research and disseminating good information. And now there are other large players out there, you know, be it corporate agribusiness or cooperative extension that they think that, you know, they're doing the same thing, doing good research and disseminating good information. Where have you able been able to find a niche? So for me, it's the guys that are willing to try something different. Uh, and with all due, there's no way of saying this without really stepping on some guys' toes, but with all due respect to them, I'm kind of over hiding or shying away from that anymore either, Tim. Um, the fact is, man, I, you know, I look at every like six, take, take like a 60 mile, you know, diameter, like a, think of it as like a giant pivot almost, right? Um, and, but then you look at that, it's like a pie shaped. And there's only a very small percentage of that pie, a very small sliver of that pie of guys that really truly want to do things different. Um, so again, forgive me guys when you're listening here for stepping on your toes, but we live in a world of, of quote unquote precision ag. And a variable rate this and variable rate that. And I'm really afraid, Tim, that we're, we're doing an insane a lot of things to make ourselves feel good and to uh, have some marketability in terms of the, the people who are outside of agriculture to like make ourselves more appealing to them and not actually making a real world difference. And the guys that I'm looking to work with are the ones who are like, I truly don't care what the neighbors think. In fact, I like it when the neighbors are talking bad about me. And, and that's, the, I think, maybe the best example is I tell my guys, I'm not looking for the guys that go to the coffee shop to talk bad about the neighbor. I'm looking for the neighbor that the neighbors are all talking bad about. <laughs> because the misfit farmers, I, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. What I call the misfit farmers. It's the guys that, you know, we, we do agronomy seminars um, and we'll pull guys in. And I think the last one we had nine or ten states represented. And it's cool because we create this safe space where, like, a lot of times, you know, how the farming community is where people want to help each other. But they also don't want to give away like all their secrets because um, I think the fear is, is like if my neighbor was doing everything I was doing, we'd be on the same you know level. And then there's you know land is a limited resource and I want to farm more acres. So it's just this unfortunate kind of like friendly competition that happens. But when you're working with growers, I mean, I work with guys from the West Coast, like Washington State to Florida and from right on the North Dakota, uh, Canada border down into, into central Texas. And when you're that spread out um, and you bring all these guys together from a distance, they have the ability to kind of like spitball ideas back and forth and, you know, share ideas, what they're doing with one another. And it's like I said, this like safe space where they don't have to worry about the neighbor being there and they can learn from people in different regions and see like what other guys are struggling with and what they're doing to overcome it. Interesting. And you've said uh, in your videos, you have some great Facebook lives, by the way. You've said, you. you know, I'm a scientist, not a salesman. You've already said it once here 
to me today. And I, yep. I truly believe it. You can tell. I mean, it's apparent when you watch those videos that you really get excited about the information and the research and really changing things. What to you is kind of an ideal client relationship? Uh, you say you work with these farmers from Florida all the way to Washington. Uh, what does that yep. look like for you? Um, so full disclosure, I'm not the guy that's going to be on your farm scouting your field you know, weekly or really on your farm three times a year. A lot of times I'm lucky if I can get there once a year. But going back to your previous question of what's my like ideal client look like, the good news is I don't have to be because you're already doing that. Like, so, you know, the guys that I'm working with, they care enough about their crop that they're out there literally every single day, you know, checking it to see what's going on. Because, again, I, I can't know everybody's land, but I kind of aggregate all of these ideas and struggles and, and the information really that we're gathering. And, again, I share that with people. Really, all I am is I, I kind of view myself, Tim, as like the the hub or, you know, like a, in, a, in like in a wheel. And I've got a lot of different spokes that are out everywhere. And so most of the time I'm just connecting people that where I'm not even necessarily answering the or like answering your question, but I know the guy who has the answer to your question. So I'm able to connect guys that way and create a lot of mutually beneficial relationships. And what are the more sort of important agronomic problems that you're dealing with? You know, I think the probably the well, that one, I guess, on some level is easy. It's what do we do with, you know, prices that are not where we want them to be? How do we cut our input costs while, you know, keeping our uh, yields at the same level or even trying to increase our yields. So it's all about the bottom line. Um, it's all about spending less and getting more or spending the same and, and uh, you know, g- getting ahead. At the end of the day, it's about the bottom line. So that's, that's I think, probably the, the number one issue that everybody's facing regardless of what region they're in. I don't know anybody that's like, oh, yeah, I'm making too much money. That's my problem. Maybe the cannabis industry. Yeah. No. Okay. So it's, I, I know that this is a bit of a bunny trail, but I'm so glad you mentioned that. So what's funny, Tim, is that's, that's actually not even close to true because you have, at least in Washington state, and it varies by state, but in Washington state, the guys I'm working with right now, you have producers, which are basically farmers, you have processors, and then you have retail outlets. And there is a linear progression where it has to go from a producer to a processor then to the retailer. Now you can have both a producer and processor's license so that you can like put together into one, but the state of Washington has chosen to uh, not allow vertical integration or integration like you have in Colorado. So the, the complaint really commonly, cause now it's not just the, the one group that I'm working with, but I've met a lot of other growers from around the state now. And the thing that everybody complains about is like, oh man, it's all the processors. It's all the retailers making all the money and we, the producer aren't making enough. So honest to goodness, man, it is the exact same thing. Whether you're a corn farmer, a cantaloupe farmer or a cannabis farmer, uh, you're to some degree facing the same problem. That's really surprising. So the, the cannabis farmers you're working with, uh, are they similar to what we picture as a farmer or are they brand new to, to farming in general? Oh man, it is totally, totally variable. Um, the, the really, I don't know if you call it sad or unfortunate reality that the, the writing on the wall, the super transparent reality is this. There, you know, there have been a lot of people that have done this illegally for a long time. The, the stereotypical hippies, if you want to call them that way, or stoners, or whatever. And it, on, on some level, Tim, I really respect those guys because they put their blood, sweat and tears into an industry that they had a significant amount of risk doing. On another level, it's like, hey, guys, that was illegal. What are you thinking? But but where the industry is headed is in a much more corporate, much more white-collar direction. Uh, and I'm telling you, in 12 to 18 months, your quote-unquote average hippie is going to be pushed out of the industry. Uh, it's all about how do we increase efficiency, how do we cut cost, how do we address that bottom line. It is literally the exact same thing as in commercial ag. It's been really eye-opening. And that actually is a great segue to another question I had for you. Uh, in, in previous conversations I've had on this show, 
uh, more successful farmers have told me that a key to their success is being able to just learn quicker and adopt new things quicker. And I know uh, at least one of your videos, you mentioned that you advise farmers to take three things they're considering trying and just plant a small amount of their acreage or use that method on a small amount of their acreage. Are many farmers doing that? And, and what are the results of that? Um, the ones that I work with? Yes. Uh, a lot of others, I can't speak to that because like I told you, the guys I work with are kind of unique. And I, I should add this little caveat, which is like, don't just try something different, but pay attention to where you put it. You know, honestly, bad science or bad trials is worse than no science or no trials. Um, because then you waste a lot of time. You know, if, you, if you're not going to really pay attention to it, then just don't do it. Don't waste the time. Just go get the corn planted, go get the wheat planted, go get whatever done. And, and if you're going to do it, pay attention to it. So I would say my perception is, I don't know that this is right. My perception is there's not nearly enough people doing that. Yeah, that, that's kind of what I picked up. I used to buy grain from farmers and I, I noticed there, there was, uh, uh, at least in my area, you know, a bit of, uh, apprehension to try something new, even on a, on the smallest of scale. But it made a lot of sense when I heard you say that. Uh, what's something as you travel and talk to farmers? What's something that you pick up on that a lot of farmers believe about agronomy or about growing crops that that you've actually found to not be so true? Oh, uh, one, one of the, the worst, worst lies that we're fed in agriculture, and I just can't seem to kill this. I don't know why it won't die. But the idea that a pound is a pound the world around, I mean, I can tell you that's categorically false. If that were true, here's a prime example. If that were true um, and you need copper, let's say you take your soil, you take your tissue sample, whatever, you you can pretty well verify that you need copper. Why don't you go buy some pre-1982 pennies and go broadcast them on your farm? Because everybody's all concerned about what's the cheapest source of nitrogen? What's the cheapest source of phosphorus? What's the cheapest source of, in this case, copper? So if a pound is a pound the world around, then go get the pre-1982 pennies because that's when it was still made of copper and just go broadcast it. The reality is there's a difference between plant recoverable and plant available. Another example would be if you've got a you know an old burned out combine in your field, that's plant available iron. In other words, it is iron that is available to the plant, but it is not in a form that's recoverable. So there is a difference sometimes between products that people are selling, uh, between what form of nutrients you're using, because just because you're putting P or K or copper or whatever else out there doesn't necessarily mean that it's in a form the plant can take up. It, it would anhydrous ammonia be an example of that? I know you have a video about this. Anhydrous ammonia. Oh yeah, there's a lot of reasons to avoid anhydrous ammonia. Um, I mean, the plant will take up the ammonium form of nitrogen. Uh, in fact, the research is pretty clear that ideally you'd, you'd have it out there in about a 50-50 ratio of ammonium to nitrate. But, yeah, there's there's just a lot of reasons to avoid anhydrous. How should farmers, and I know this is a big question, so I don't expect you to have the answer, but just curious on your perspective. How should farmers balance the, the economics of farming, especially in current conditions, uh, with the environmental stewardship aspect? Because I know that's something that's very important to you. It is. You know what? I, um, I'm probably not maybe outspoken or clear enough on where I stand with my faith as I should be, Tim. But to me, I mean, you're right. The economic and the environmental stewardship really go hand in hand. I think that God has put us here and entrusted, you know, the land to our care. And we are supposed to take care of it, realizing it's his, not ours. So I, when you say the word balance, that strikes me as a little bit of a, of a misnomer because I don't know that one needs to come at the expense of the other. In fact, I find that they often go hand in hand. And I'm not one of the like no-till Nazis, you know, the people that just like live and breathe and die no-till and there's no other no other option. 
but I also think the jury's not out. Like it's a better way of doing things as far as conservation wise. You just got to know that for the first three to five years, you're going to struggle. I mean, yields are not going to be as good, but you, you got to be willing to give up the short term game gain for the long term picture for the, you know, long term picture. Uh, another example is like fungicide in the furrow. It's like the hot new thing where everybody's all about fungicide in the furrow. Look, I can tell you right now, you run fungicide in the furrow, the odds are probably 70% or higher that you're going to get a yield response to it. Cause you're going to kill, you know, the, the bad fungi, but you got to keep in mind that you're also smoking the good fungi too. And so the, the short term yield benefit you get, I personally don't see being worth the long term, the possibility of the long term consequences. So to me, it's about getting the long term and the short term to match up. Along similar lines, I, I heard you say, and perhaps this is more widespread. I just heard it from you for the first time. Uh, you, you were talking about these yield competitions, which are very big among farmers for those listening. Uh, who, who are not farmers are familiar, but, but they do these yield contests where farmer will report their data and, and get big prices if they have the biggest yield per acre of their crop. And you kind of mentioned that maybe we should be, you know, yield, yield contests can be great and everything, but maybe really what we should be looking at is more like a utilization contest. Could you speak more about that? I think in a perfect world, it wouldn't just be about yield, which, you know, the original intent of those yield contests was really good. It's like, how do we take a small plot and and really push it, and then what can we take from that to apply to our whole farm? Unfortunately, my dad, when I was growing up, taught me about the law of unintended consequences, and this is like anything else. Um, there are often unintended consequences for anything that you're doing, and one of the unintended consequences here was like the prizes that you're talking about, you know, the financial incentive, the trips, all that got to the point where it was so big, and and it's not like, I don't want to say an entitlement program, but it's something that farmers have become so accustomed to that it kind of be, took on its life of its own and like became this thing that I think it wasn't intended to be. Now all of a sudden it's about what is the highest, you know, who gets the highest yield at, and the cost is irrelevant. I mean, I've talked to so many growers who are like, you know, I don't care what I spend on two acres. I don't care what I spend on 10 acres because they know that the payday is there if they win. And that is not really super applicable to, you know, broader commercial ag. And so the argument I was making in one of my um, live videos or liveies, as I call them, uh, was, you know, why don't we look for nitrogen use efficiency? I think in particular was the nutrient I was talking about. Or why don't we try and figure out, you know, how can we why are we looking at a yield contest as opposed to like a profitability contest? Because that's really what we need to be looking at. Great. I have one more kind of heavy agronomy question and then I'll, I'll get us uh, sort of. Out of the weeds, uh, pun intended. There, out of the weeds. Um, <laughs> I like that. That's good. You have a uh, a YouTube video that that talks about volunteer corn and soybeans. Uh, first of all, for those uh, who are not farmers, can you tell them uh, what volunteer corn is, uh, why it's a problem, and, and maybe what farmers can do about it? Yeah. So it's um for one thing, we should point out first and foremost, it's kind of location specific because the guys that are far enough south, like you get down into Texas. Uh, what happens is when you harvest your corn crop, if not every kernel gets into your combine and then into uh, the grain cart and then off of the field, you know, if there's some left over, that is still grain that is viable to sprout and, and grow and create a new plant. So, you know, way down south, a lot of times that'll actually happen right after harvest where the conditions are such that that, that corn kernel can still uh, germinate, pop up, and then all of a sudden you've got a what would essentially be like a double crop, uh, corn behind corn growing there. When you move into the north, more northern climates, and I don't know what the exact line is on this, but I know that you know in Iowa for sure, where where I'm from, that that's going to be a a very common thing where it will sit there dormant and then germinate the following spring. So if you're in a corn soybean rotation, you've taken the corn off in the fall, 
in the next spring you're going to plant soybeans and all of a sudden you have corn plants germinating, sprouting up, growing uh, in your soybean crop and it's now it's a weed because you can't harvest it with the soybeans. So now you've just created your own weed problem. And what could farmers do about it? Um, there's a couple things. The, 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 at the risk of sounding salesy, the sales pitch that I made in that video was, um, you know, 360 Yield Center has these new gathering chains that they've released that are this block and brush system. And the argument there is like, hey, you've already grown the, the corn crop. Uh, everything we do, it seems like is geared towards raising more bushels, raising more bushels. But, uh, this, this new gathering chain is all about, hey, you've already produced it. So why don't you just save it? Why don't you save that yield? And instead of having it, you know, bounce out of your head, uh, actually getting it into the combine and getting it off the field. That's one option. Uh, there are uh, certainly herbicides that you can use. Uh, select or generic select is probably the most common uh, grass herbicide that you can spray on your beans. So, again, for those who aren't in farming or in agriculture, uh, it's a herbicide that targets, uh, that will basically kill grasses, and including corn, but doesn't actually damage the soybeans. So it's a very targeted uh, herbicide that you can use as well. Switching gears here just a little bit on, on social media, uh, you have seemingly been very strategic in, in how you disseminate information through social media. So, so what's worked well for you and, and kind of what have you seen as a result of your efforts on social media? Sure. So I have tried very hard to build my brand as, again, somebody who disseminates good information. And when I say good information, I mean not the stuff that you're going to see um, from every other, you know, Tom, Dick and Harry agronomy guy or co-op or extension officer out there. I really try and dig through and find the stuff that's more cutting edge, the stuff that's a little more edgy, the stuff that really makes you scratch your head and the stuff really that that makes you question what is possible. Um, and so I it's funny because typically when you like pay for Facebook advertising and you know, when you're going through your Facebook news feed and you see something that says sponsored like 99 times out of 100, that's something where somebody's trying to sell you something. And I spend, I'm not going to tell you, but it is a significant amount of money sponsoring links to articles to make people think or that just give them agronomy info stuff that I'm really not trying to sell anything at all because to me the brand and the identity uh, is more important than, hey, let's get this product out there. Because what I've found is like if I can earn people's trust and prove to them that I really am about what I say I'm about, then the the money side of it, whether that's the you know sales side or consulting or whatever, will will take care of itself. So for me, um, I, I was on Twitter. I still am on Twitter. I haven't done as much recently. To me, Twitter has become a little more like uh, negative. I'm sorry, new ag talk. That's a joke. I call it NA, a lot of guys refer to that as NAT. For those of you who don't know, it's new ag talk. It's a forum. I call it negative ag talk because it's typically full of people who talk about, you know, how some, if you throw an idea out there, they'll, they'll spend all day shooting it down as opposed to trying to share ideas about what you could do to improve upon it or, uh, you know, kind of pushing again the limits of what's possible. So I stay off of the forums. I haven't been as active on Twitter recently. Uh, Facebook has really kind of been my sweet spot because, again, it's uh, it gives me the opportunity to, to really target the ads that I run and to disseminate really good information to a lot of people really fast. Great. Yeah, it's it's uh, safer to be a, a skeptic, right, uh, especially on social media. But, no, I, I'd say your, <laughs> your Facebook strategy is working. That's that's how I found you initially, and uh, obviously you're, you have a significant following there. If I remember right, it was over 25,000 people when I uh, when I last checked. Does that sound right? Uh, I think I don't think we're quite that good. I wish. I think we're around seventeen thousand. But you see, I don't. One thing I don't do is I don't pay to like recruit new followers. I did right. in the early days, and now pretty much all of my growth is is organic. So I will pay to disseminate good information, and if I get likes uh, and follows from that, then I'm good with it. But I would rather, like I said, have a smaller group of you know more progressive guys, guys that are are really willing to push the envelope, as opposed to the broad spectrum of everybody in agriculture. 
Sure, and you are you already mentioned the term that you coined of livey, which is a, a <laughs> Facebook live video. I, yeah, you need yeah. to have a, a, a Livesey's liveys. Uh, that's kind of a mouthful, but uh, it is. It is. That's funny. My I have a my sister and my um, really my whole family is involved in agriculture, and my sister Karen runs. Uh, her and my dad work together, and they have a Facebook page called A Better Way to Farm. Um, and it's real similar to what I do. Uh, it's a little more narrowly focused in scope, uh, whereas mine's a little more information, uh, broader information. There's is more nutrient focused, more uh, focused on one specific company that they work with. But uh, Karen and I, she's kind of the social media queen. She knows a lot more about it even than I do. Uh, and and I don't know what we were doing one day when I kind of coined that term where it was a, it's a live selfie. So I mostly just like to tease her and do things that slightly annoy her. You know how it is when you've got a sister that's 11 years younger. You, you kind of like to needle at them a little bit. So I just kind of use that term livey, and in my family it just stuck. So that's yeah, we call them liveys. Yeah, anything they roll their eyes at that you, you kind of do. Exactly, exactly. Uh, well, no, I I think uh, you know what you're doing is really interesting, and I, and I hope uh, that this is a great introductory episode with you. But I'd love to bring you back on for another episode to talk about some issues specifically that you kind of are, are working on that you're excited about sharing as well. But before I let you go, one more question. Uh, yeah. What do you think, how will farming look different in, in a decade from now than it does today based on your experiences? You know, I'm, I'm torn on that, Tim. I guess I have two kind of polar opposite views and or predictions, and I don't know which it will be. Part of me says agriculture is so slow to change that it's going to be just more of the same. And if we had the same conversation 10 years from tonight, we'll look back and say not a lot has changed. The other part of me says, you know, at three dot XX dollar corn, um, that eventually what's going to happen is the guys that are, that are trying to really wait it out till we're getting back to that five, six, seven dollar corn, which I don't think is going to happen for a very long time. They're going to go broke. And the guys that are, that are doing better stewardship are going to grow and get bigger and bigger. Um, again, so there's either going to be a massive upheaval or nothing's going to change at all. I don't think we're going to see somewhere in between. Well, Dr. Kurt Livesey, I, I love the honesty and just the, the transparency and, and the open-mindedness. It really is refreshing in the industry. So keep it up and uh, can't wait to see the exciting things you continue to do and have you back on the show again. This has been really interesting. Awesome. Thanks, Tim. Hey, I really appreciate the invite, man. And yeah, I would I would love to come on with you again. And if I ever do fire up the old podcast again, I would uh, love to return the favor and get you on there as well. So thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you to Dr. Livesey for taking the time to be with us, despite uh, being very busy out on the West Coast here for a couple months. Really enjoyed that interview. I think there's some exciting things going on with Dynamite Ag. And just uh, I love the idea of where really progressive ideas meet very, very much conventional agriculture. And that's what this show's all about. And uh, I was very excited during that interview, and I hope you enjoyed it as well. Hey, thank you so much to those of you who have gone on iTunes and left a review and a rating for the Future of Agriculture podcast. Recently, I've had a few additions to that. I wanted to give a shout out to Mitch1687, who left us a five-star review and said, best ag podcast I've heard all around, best agricultural podcast I've found. Great guests, content, and audio quality. Mitch1687, thank you so much. And to all of you who have taken 30 seconds to go on iTunes and leave us a rating review, I thank you very, very much. If you haven't yet, I would really appreciate it. It helps us get the word out about the exciting work that's going on in the agriculture industry. Thank you, as always, for being here and for listening in. We'll be back next week on the Future of Agriculture podcast.
Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit aggrad.com, that's A-G-G-R-A-D.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.